1: Accessed entry 938.ES0914, certificate number 21776. Albert Pierpoint.
0: Nice and clean. The second and third vertebrae. You see, we don't hurt oh, him, in Kirky. Instant. A professional job. Well done. Shouldn't have felt anything. All right, Laura down. So we're, we're here during Halloween week, that's it, that's it. Halloween week on Omnibus. I've already gone on record saying I don't support celebrating Halloween for an entire week.
1: And here it is, All Saints Day in our era, and you're still talking about Halloween.
0: Yeah, the, the problem is that Halloween falls on a Wednesday this year, and that's the most frustrating day for fun holidays. Right, you always want a fun holiday to fall on a Friday or Saturday. Sunday is kind of a disappointment. Monday's pretty bad. But at least if, it, if Halloween's on Monday, you can have a Halloween party on Saturday night and, and feel like you're, you're within spitting distance of it. Yeah, I
1: don't even know what best practice is. Is it better to have a Halloween party the previous weekend when Halloween's on a Wednesday?
0: Has to be. You can't have a Halloween party on them. November 4th.
1: But you can't move trick-or-treating. I'm going to, you know, I had to take my kid trick-or-treating in the middle of the week. Yep. And she's going to have to go to school in the morning after yep. staying up late. Yep. It's the worst.
0: Yep, you know, and they're out there in the rain, surrounded by ghouls. Filled with baby Ruths, nourished
1: with nothing but baby Ruths and uh, possibly the apples they bobbed for. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of that in my neighborhood. It's one of the great things about bobbing for apples. You get to keep the apples. The great thing about bobbing for apples is it doesn't actually exist, I think. Hmm. I don't know. The last, no one has bobbed for anything, much less an apple, in 50 or 60 years. I I
0: am at a supreme disadvantage when it comes to bobbing for apples. Because, because I'm missing one of my front teeth. i was missing one of my prime apple grabbing teeth.
1: I had a really bad underbite at one point. I couldn't bob for apples. That's the main reason I had jaw surgery. You just pushed them around. I just wanted to improve my apple bobbing abilities. Once a year, it was a terrible reminder of
0: my handicap. But Halloween, what are, what are some of the stories that you think of that are associated with Halloween? Obviously the headless horse. You're movie.
1: saying Halloween instead
0: of Halloween. 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 Do you say Halloween? Do you yeah. really say Halloween? Yeah. Halloween. Halloween. Hmm. It's hollow to you? It's a hollow experience. I don't know. Is this a regionalism? Are there some people Maybe. in America that say Halloween? I, I mean, also
1: I also pronounce the apostrophe. I say
0: Halloween, like, like Hawaii. <laughs> Hallows in. <laughs> uh, Jack's O lantern. You know, I also say Sasquatch instead of Sasquatch. I, I get a said, lot of flaps. I thought you that. said okay. Sasquatch. Sasquatch. <laughs> is the, is the former mascot of the Seattle Sonics, wasn't it called Squatch or was it Squatch? I,
1: so I never heard it said. I always assumed it was Squatch.
0: Yeah, I guess Squatch. If
1: I had been, no, I think I went to games. I think I would notice if I had heard somebody say Squatch because it
0: would have (laughs) bothered me. Yeah, it it would be bothersome. (laughs) Don't Squatch yourself, you're in public. No, Sasquatch is what I always said. I don't know where I got it. People yell at me about it, but it. The dictionary,
1: by the way, is okay with Halloween. Or Halloween. Oh, it just puts the correct way first.
0: I feel I feel like it's one of those things where people from Ohio say it one way, and people from Indiana say it another way. I think they
1: say in the Nightmare Before Christmas. I think the song that says the word one million times says Halloween. So that means the coming generation, like Halloween, is going to die out now Mm -hmm. that now that Danny Elfman has made us all say Halloween.
0: I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I think futurelings are going to choose like. Are they an acolyte of Ken or are they an acolyte of John? <laughs> if they're an acolyte of John, they will say Solviet until Soviet becomes like the, uh, the accepted pronunciation. You're
1: going to have to choose. You can't kind of hedge and be like, Hall- Halloween. Soviet. Sol- Sol- Halloween. Halloween. If you're lukewarm, Fairly the Lord mean. will spew you forth
0: from his mouth. You got to choose one of the it's other. Halloween or Halloween. Well, uh, the hero of today's episode, Albert Pierpoint, also has a name that could be pronounced a lot of different ways. Albert Pierrepoint. He is not French, however. Well, it's a pretty Frenchy name. It, it's very French, considering he's
1: Pierpont. British born and bred. I'm not 100% sure Pierpoint is right, although I know that's
0: how you say Pierpoint Street in Brooklyn. I, I think Pierpoint is as close as we're going to get for the purposes of this show, not being able to talk to Albert himself. But Albert had uh, one of the jobs that we would associate with the, the dark holiday of Halloween he was um or holiday of halloween or holiday of halloween uh billy holiday Halliday. albert was an executioner a man. Uh-huh. and he was like uh here i'm going to give you this bell just so you can ding it for yourself <laughs> self serve bell <laughs> you're
1: like ha-ha, like like ha-ha. a like a, a comedian who has his own uh like snare drum Yeah,
0: but i t- <laughs> get it get it get it um Albert was an executioner during a time when capital punishment was still widely practiced throughout Europe. We're now living in an era where capital punishment has been abolished in most of what we would describe as the Western world. Only
1: developing nations and the United States now have it. That's right.
0: Good job. The United States, the last of the... uh, That's not
1: quite true. I mean, China's killing more people today than Texas could in a hundred years.
0: But most of that is just part of their manufacturing process.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> Those are all just children in factories. <laughs> now, there's plenty of executions as well, right?
0: For sure. I mean, capital punishment is still being debated uh, in our contemporary time uh, whether or not it is a deterrent, whether or not it is um, a, a civil. Just? Uh, right, just, or whether it's a, a component of civil society or a remnant of an earlier time. And feelings run high.
1: Our own home state, Washington state, in the last
0: week or so, That's right, right, has
1: uh, the Supreme Court abolished
0: capital fin- punishment? Finally abolished it within Washington, although it is not abolished at the federal level. But there is a... So there's
1: still a way to get killed by the government in Washington. You just have to commit a federal crime.
0: There have been multiple hiatuses. Hiati? <laughs> um, it's pronounced Haiti. <laughs> Uh where capital punishment is not officially abolished, but it is um You mean federally, like nationwide? Well, nationwide and, and in different states, there will be a moratorium placed on capital punishment. There was a time when capital punishment was applied to crimes of all sorts, including treason and like sedition. Well, I feel like in the Bible it's uh, you know, if
1: you wear two kinds of fibers in the same shirt. Sure. If you uh, go to church while you're menstruating. Suffer a witch to live. There's there's so many ways to get executed in Leviticus. Right.
0: Fewer in our era. Thrown down a well. Now, uh, in the current era, all the federal death sentences are for aggravated murder. And that tends to be, I mean, you don't get them for, for robbery or piracy that much anymore. Although maybe piracy we don't, we don't see as many pirates here as, as we once did. Well, on Halloween you do, but... On Halloween you definitely do. <laughs> those
1: are, just dressing up as Johnny Depp is not a capital crime. It's a fashion crime, but...
0: Well, and I, I sometimes dress as a love pirate, but that's <laughs> not related to Halloween at Tell all. Tell me what a love pirate is. Oh, you know, for like a puffy shirt and uh, an eye patch, but in the service of... Are you stealing of, love? Um, I steal love from the rich and I give it to the poor. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I don't know how that would actually work. Well, you know, you're not the intended victim or recipient of a uh, love piracy. You're a uh, heterosexual only love pirate? Oh, not necessarily. I'm just saying you, you don't love me enough either way, <laughs> are, not, are not involved. Uh, so, uh, but Pierpoint is a 20th century executioner. So, not someone from the Spanish Inquisition or someone who worked during the French Revolution. But an Englishman. And what are his dates? Uh, well, he was born in the 20th century in 1905. But he's, he's killing people
1: up until like, well, how long, How late was the crown hanging so uh,
0: murderers in the United Kingdom? The UK passed what they called the Murder Act in 1965. <laughs> the Murder Act <laughs> in favor of murder. It, it uh, made murder legally enforceable. It was anti-state murder. Um, in 1965, they didn't abolish it permanently. They put exit. State executions on hold, oh, the murder act was
1: not really about murderers. it was
0: about it was about not no, executing them no longer murdering murderer gotcha uh
1: but so, so the name is kind of one of those where you could you can
0: tell by the name what they're you know the into. english the English do this all the time, right they call things like, oh you know what is would you pass me the uh the murder rope and it's like, what is a murder rope oh it's just what we call a dental floss, you know like they <laughs> They have a very colorful way of using the English language, unlike that, us literalists here in America. That does explain a lot about their dentistry. If they really if they really did not know what floss was, that, oh. doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I can't even do British teeth jokes. No, that was good. That was funny. I'm just, I'm in the habit now of sarcastic double bell ringing. Give a man a bell and he will bell for a lifetime. I have two bells now. Uh, but Pierpoint came to his job well, I guess you would say honestly, his um, it was somewhat of a family business. And is this this a family business? And this is true of a lot of executioners. It is a job that's handed down from father to son because there there's a kind of tarnish on a man who takes this job upon himself.
1: It does make sense on a couple of levels. First of all, it's not likely to be a skill that you can be taught in any other way except knowing the person who's currently doing it. Right. And secondly, it's not something people would aspire to. Like, people don't sit around thinking, you know, I'd like to be an executioner.
0: Well, funny you should mention it. People actually do. There are plenty of people in the in the historic record that we might think of now as having certain proclivities toward killing things. These were serial killers channeling their... Yeah, who figured out along the way that there was a state-sanctioned way they could exercise their... Their feelings, I guess, their motivations, they could exorcise their demons by becoming trained murderers for the state. In fact, there's. How do we know?
1: Like, did they later say, boy, I'm sure glad all those. uh, I didn't kill all those prostitutes because I got to work on death row instead?
0: Well, when this show is being recorded in 2018, um, the state executioner of the nation of Egypt is a man by the name of Hajj Abd al Nabil. Who recently gave an interview where he said, "When I was a little boy, I loved killing cats and dogs, and what I would do is go out in the afternoon and catch animals and strangle them and I was known in the neighborhood as the little Satan. jeez, um I just love murdering things, and as I got older, I realized that this was a job, and I was really good at it, so I went." To the, you know, I went to the state and I said, I would like to be the executioner. And they, they put me in the executioner pipeline. And now I'm, uh, I've never been happier. I just love killing people. I've killed like hundreds of Egyptians. This is a novel argument for (laughs) capital punishment, which is there's a
1: certain number of people that are going to be killing a certain number of victims anyway. Sure. Why not funnel them into, you know, killing actual
0: criminals and doing the least harm? Seems like, uh. Seems like a thing that you could have a kind of apprentice program where if you're really like people in your neighborhood could nominate you, like this kid's a sicko. Let's uh let's get him in the executioner
1: game. I'm just not convinced there's enough executions to actually do it for these guys. Well, only because I mean,
0: there's no way this is a full time job, right? Only the- only because we've limited it we've limited uh capital punishment to Aggravated murder, like if we lowered the bar for what, if we went back to Leviticus and said like, well, anytime you take the Lord's name in vain or spit on the street, that it could be a capital offense. And I don't expect you to be an
1: expert on uh, Sharia law, but uh, in in these uh, Islamic countries, are people being, are there Um, more executions because the bar is so much lower?
0: That's absolutely true. There's a lot more opportunity for the state executioner of Egypt to practice his trade. Because there are other crimes that receive the the sentence of death, it still can't be full time. Uh,
1: well, I mean, I assume I could ki- like I could uh, arrange the with a little training, I could arrange the
0: executions of like five or six people in a day. This is typically true, and in, in the case of Albert Pierpoint, he his main job was as a grocer oh. for much of his life. He delivered groceries and then carried out executions for the state when, when his services were needed.
1: It's kind of like you're a volunteer firefighter or something.
0: Right. And in the case of executions, they were paid piecemeal. Uh, you got paid by the execution. <sighs> by, by the victim. So you weren't on any kind of state pension. You didn't receive benefits. Um, you just did this contract work. But you had to be on the list. You had to be authorized as a head executioner. And Albert, that,
1: that almost makes it more awkward that someone's going to, you know, someone's going to give you a check or an envelope at the end of the, as soon as the guy stops kicking, you're going to have to go by a counter and be like, here you go. Here's your uh, 350 quid or right. whatever. Oh,
0: wow. They would love it if it was that much. It was about 150 pounds. Really? It was a situation where you would be paid some upfront and then paid later, not after the person was killed, but after it was determined that the execution had been pulled off with decorum at like successfully done because part of the job of, there's a, there's a, there's a trial, a series of judges, a panel of judges and <laughs> they, they lift up signs, 9.5, 9.0. It is a, um, it is a hazard of the occupation that it's surprisingly easy to botch an execution. And throughout time, throughout history, Good executioners are the ones who achieve a clean, painless, efficient death of their of the sentence.
1: For most of history, was it an ax man? Is that is that who it was for centuries in most of the world?
0: Well, guy with an axe and a, and a and a stump. There have been a lot of different evolutions in an attempt to find the most merciful way to kill. Now, I'm not talking about the executioners of the Middle Ages or of the. I mean, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition, but they did expect during the Spanish Inquisition that you would be tortured to death. Right. And they weren't
1: were, known for their, for trying to find the most merciful way.
0: Although mercy was a component of the overall sort of arc of an execution. Like one of the common ways of executing people then was to break them on the wheel, which is kind of a, a misnomer because what they did was tie them to a board and then drop a wagon wheel on them. Repeatedly. Oh, I, th- I thought
1: they were like on the like the rim of some kind of a giant torture wheel. So,
0: so the way it worked was they would use this wheel, this heavy wooden wheel ringed in iron. They would tie you to a board with um, with little blocks, sort of supporting your your joints, various parts of your body, and then they would drop the wheel on you from a height to break your bones repeatedly. To make sure
1: all the weight goes onto the knee
0: or whatever. So Ah. they would break your shin and then they would move it up and break your thigh and then they would break your arms both on either side of your elbow joint and they would break you multiple times and break your spine and then you're still alive and then they would tie you to the wheel where they would thread you through the spokes with all of the new joints created by your because you're much more flexible that's now. That's right, all your broken bones. And then they would leave you to die on the wheel. So um, which part which part of that is merciful? <laughs> none of it. But oh. but the executioner was at every stage of the way, there was an opportunity to deliver a killing blow. If the victim would confess or if or the accept Jesus if, if if there was some sense that the there was something in the nature of their crime that although they were condemned to being broken on the wheel, they also didn't deserve to suffer that much. I mean, you're going to be broken by the wheel one way or another, but they would kill you first and then break you? So the decree might
1: say, with some discretion left to the executioner as to at what point he actually kills the
0: victim. Right, or or some magistrate would give him the sign from across the room like, ah, you can like... Let's let's put an end to this guy. Oh, so it
1: is somebody else making the call. Depends. It,
0: you don't have to be judge, jury, and executioner. Depends on how much authority the executioner has in that moment. Mm-hmm. But that was the great thing about the guillotine, the invention of the guillotine. It was an instance where technology had created an infallible. It's machine. binary. It's right. zero
1: or one. Right. Either the blade is suspended or it's not.
0: Although there are plenty of examples where the guillotine failed in one way or another and didn't make a clean cut.
1: I think there might also be some evidence that, um, you know, the guillotine may not be the most merciful way of killing because it is too sudden. That consciousness can continue in a severed head for a matter of seconds, in which case the victim is actually aware of having died in a horrifying way, which is presumably not what you want.
0: I mean, all they're really aware of is that now they're inside of a basket,
1: and you uh, think that might be nice?
0: I mean, it's for a couple of seconds. I mean, who knows? Here are the
1: only other times I can think of it being inside a basket. Uh, if you're in a hot air balloon. Right. And that's very nice. If you're a kitten.
0: <laughs> if you're a picnic. Right. If you're, if you're, it's, all if you're other, a bear inside of a picnic basket. All
1: the other ways of being in a basket are kind of nice. So you're right. Maybe it's a nice way to, to go out. Yeah, you're like, ah, oh, finally, I'm at rest in a basket. This whole time I have not been in a basket. And now I am. <laughs>
2: get 2 pounds of ground beef and 2 packs of bacon absolutely free plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com/iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com/iheart or use the promo
0: code iheart at checkout um as the 20th century progressed or the 19th and 20th century styles of execution really took on a regional quality. France was still guillotining people into the 1970s, right? And it it was, and in Germany, that was also the state method of execution. Germany was beheading people. Beheading people. Whereas in England, it was strictly hanging. And in the United States, we pioneered death by electrocution because that was a very American way of, you know, like here's some technology that we can really apply to this. And it was thought of as uh, humane because the the electricity would shock you and, and make you unconscious. Although,
1: Although yeah, it, it doesn't, it's not clear to me. It's not intuitive that some new violent, scary technology will
0: obviously the, be the most humane way to kill someone. No, the, the New York State executioner, like the big executioner in New York was a man named Robert Elliott. And the job description was not executioner it was New York State Electrician. <laughs> that was the name of his job.
1: Was he also in charge of uh, the
0: fuse box He, had, I mean, he had an electrical contracting business because as you've already kind of uh, laid out, right? Executioning, being an executioner is not a full-time job. So everybody had like a side gig. And Robert Elliott was also, he was doing, I guess, like putting new chandeliers in people's houses and wiring up the old the the light out in the pig pen outside
1: and the story in the united states is true right about thomas edison uh electrocuting an elephant in order to <laughs> in order to prove that alternating current was was bad and just the fact that yeah so westinghouse's competing standard alternating current was what was being used for these early executions edison just jumped on that to be like see see how bad
0: ac is right. like we're actually killing people yeah, with it elephant killers and convicts and people uh Elliot had this whole, he had it all figured out. He would shock people with 200 volts and then he would back it off. Or he'd, he'd shock them with 2,000 volts and then back it off to 500 and let them just cook for a while. He's
1: like the artisanal uh, executioner in The Princess Bride.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> like he's got a,
1: he's got, a, he's or he's like one of these barbecue dads with a theory. Yeah. And then he would zip it back up to 2000 again and to what's, like. What's the theory here that this is the most Well, humane, I mean, or? the
0: first shock knocks them unconscious, but then you have to cook their insides for a while and then you shock them again to stop their heart and then cook them a little bit more and then shock them one last time for a good man. I
1: feel like you give it, if you give a man a dial. He will want to twiddle with it. I'm, what? I'm, you know, I'm not a recording artist, but when I see people in, in a recording studio, it always seems like they just like the fun of twiddling with their dials, right? When we, when we they feel uh, like
0: they're at Mission Control. When we were in the studio a lot, it was a like a known quantity that there would be some parts of the board that the engineer knew didn't work, were broken, <laughs> like <laughs> certain buttons and certain faders uh, that did nothing that when people from the record label would come in or band members that felt like they needed to be more involved in it than everybody else agreed they did, uh, you would station them over at that session and say like, oh, okay, do you want more guitar? Like, here's your fader, here are your knobs, you can pan it like this. And you see it all the time, people like, they're really in the mix and they're moving this (laughs) thing around and they can't hear, there's no, nothing's happening. You'd give those controls to your A&R guy and say like, yeah, turn up the bass, bro. I,
1: I can just imagine this guy working his like electric chair dial though, like as if he's, you know, as
0: if he's hearing inner voices like an artist. Uh, he was an example of, uh, Robert Elliott was an example of an executioner that, and this is a, this is a common trait among most executioners. They feel like it is a job they're performing on behalf of the state and they don't have an emotional investment in Murdering people are in the death penalty either way i mean they're not they're not like uh, our friend al nabil who's who comes straight out and says, I'm really into this
1: well, it's hard to say whether that's just some different stigma in our culture where you know are are there people in our culture as well who would say that as well if they knew they weren't going to get hounded for it It's
0: a good question and and there is a um there is a real premium in England and Germany and in the United States on the idea that the executioner is dignified and executions themselves are colorless and dignified we don't want a big scene we typically don't like people shouting from the gallows for in you know in movies in the
1: american frontier and in um maybe 18th and 19th century europe there is a it is a spectacle right like it's it's something to do soccer having not yet been invented yet
0: Right, on behalf of the crowd, but it's still formalized. I mean, if you just want to kill somebody, you can just go strangle them on the ground or or stick them with a knife. But to tie their hands behind their back and walk them up a ga- uh, a scaffold and drop them through a trapdoor is- It's ceremonial. It's ceremonial, and so so there is a formality to it. In fact, the in Germany, all the way through World War II, the state executioner insisted on, his name was Johann Reichert, He insisted on wearing a top hat and tails, the traditional uniform of the German executioner uh, for all of his, all of his many executions, which numbered into the thousands. He was an executioner that started during the Weimar Republic and then became the state executioner of uh, Nazi Germany. Executed thousands of people always wearing his top hat. And then after the war. In the immediate aftermath of the war, he was captured by the Americans, and they needed somebody to start executing Nazis. And so they said, keep up the good work and put him to work for a whole other year. So, I mean, that's a
1: really interesting case because the Allies are trying and sentencing people who killed on the orders of their superiors, right? Right. And uh, uh, the Reich's official hangman is maybe not so different. Like, he's also an arm of the state, Hey, he can say the same thing. Hey, I just killed the people they told me to, which is what every commandant and guard at Bergen-Belsen can say.
0: And what's, I mean, maybe dark humor, but after he spent a year executing that first wave of people after the war who, I mean, you know, the... Um, like who went first, the higher-ups? No, not that, because the Nuremberg trials weren't for another couple of years, where the real, or not a couple of years, but there, there was a sense that we needed to try the higher-ups of Nazi Germany very formally and publicly mm-hmm. but there were a lot of people that needed to be dealt with in the immediate <laughs> I mean, aftermath yeah. and uh and they you know they tended to be like the commandant of Belsen actually the commandant of Belsen was uh, executed by Pierpoint, who went over several times in the uh, after the war to perform executions on behalf of the English government mm. but um Reichart decided in 1946 that he was he was concerned that he was executing what he described as innocent men. And so...
1: He only became concerned about this once it was Nazis and not, were,
0: and not their victims? Yeah, once it was the Nazis, and so he retired and then eventually was arrested and not he was, was not himself sentenced to death. He was just charged with... But some, he was
1: charged with war crimes for having been in
0: execution. Charged with war crimes, but uh, but on a smaller scale. He was given two years of probation or something. He had to pick up litter at the side of the Autobahn. <laughs> Right. He had to plant plant flowers uh, in graveyards. Pierpoint would have been the obvious choice to be the executioner of Nuremberg.
1: Well, yeah, he must have, I mean, if his majesty's government is going to send someone over, he must have been the guy, right? Was he a prestigious executioner?
0: Uh, He was. He was considered sort of the most professional, the preeminent executioner of his day. One thing I was thinking is it can't
1: matter that much to the victim. You know, like the victim doesn't care if Yo- if Johan has a top hat or not. I mean, I'm sure he or she would appreciate a certain courtesy and certainly a, a, the skill that leads to the most painless death possible. Well, but the whole, you know, the whole idea that there should be a ceremony is really for the institution itself. Right. It's, it's le- the less it looks like a lynch mob, the less it looks like the illegal kind of murder, the more legitimacy there is to the enterprise.
0: Right, but from the victim standpoint, I think you really do hope you get a very professional executioner. Are you
1: talking about the actual mechanics of the knot and so forth?
0: Yes, because the opportunity for botched execution is surprisingly high. Now, the English preferred to hang people, and they developed what they called the long drop style of hanging, which was to drop the person uh, at least 10 feet where they, when they hit the end of the rope, it truly snapped their neck in what's called the executioner's break. It, and it's a kind of injury, a neck injury that you can get snowboarding too, But it's a specific kind of break that kills you instantly.
1: It's a common misconception that hanging is supposed to kill by strangulation, right? It, it, is, it is not It is to. not.
0: You do not want to strangulate. You want to die of a broken neck. And yet a lot of countries that practiced execution by hanging did short drop. Because snowboarding hadn't been invented. Snowboarding hadn't been invented and short drops seemed more, you know, it seemed cheaper because you. Right, less rope. Yeah, that's right. It's a lot shorter. (laughs) Don't have to worry about all that headspace. Well, you didn't need those tall ceilinged uh, execution rooms. You could do it almost anywhere. Shorter gallows. But Pierpoint was actually consulted by a lot of countries, including Austria, uh, and he had a whole, he had a whole system. He would do practice drops with big bags of sand.
1: Oh, the same weight as the prisoner. The same weight as it's the like prisoner. It's like Indiana Jones switching
0: the. Right. Oh, and he wow. would, he would uh, leave the bag of sand tied to the rope overnight to stretch the rope. So there wouldn't be.
1: Right. The rope's got to be pre-stretched. Right. Or otherwise you're going to get a bungee effect that might result in less force on the knot,
0: Right. Uh. So he would, and he had dimensions for the gallows and how big the trapdoor should be like he had professionalized executions it is artisanal
1: like he's tailoring it to the victim based on their build and and weight
0: he and he would actually go and check out the condemned prisoner to see if their shoulders were broader or if he needed a little bit of uh, you know like extra i don't know extra english on the knot he's not creepy i bet you know i bet and it be, maybe it's just because i know he's
1: british but like if i'm imagining some old west uh, hangman or mortician I'm imagining some awful guy whose fingernails are too long, you know, some kid catcher type. And I'm assuming that uh, Pierpoint is all business. He's from a nation of shopkeepers.
0: As time went on, he decided he wanted to leave the grocery business and open a pub. He felt like uh, having a pub was an opportunity for him to be his own boss. And so he did open a pub. The pub was called Help the Poor Struggler. I mean, the English, you know, they name their houses and they name their pubs. Strangely. I mean I
1: love the names of English pubs but um Help the Poor Struggler is a complete sentence. Yeah, Help the Poor Struggler was the name it's, of his it's pub. Not, it's not. it's rarely a there's really a verb is what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> in, the, in in
1: the, the pub In the name of the pub. It's usually, right. you know, the crown. It's not Where sure. the crown. Robert the Bruce
0: died on the on the cross.
1: So at the same time he's he, he's pouring ales for people he's still uh occasionally getting called up to Execute criminals.
0: Not occasionally. He's the chief executioner of the United Kingdom during this period, but also the pub man and would sit and uh, pour beers and sing songs.
1: Oh, that's part of the appeal of the pub. He's like the early, um, you know, the boxer who has a steakhouse or whatever.
0: But famously, he was called to execute one of his favorite customers. No. A man by the name of James Corbett, who was such a regular at the bar that Pierpoint called him Tish and James Corbett called Pierpoint Tosh. They had nicknames for each other, Tish and Tosh. And they would sit at the bar and sing in harmony with one another. And then James Corbett killed his mistress in a fit of anger. After having too much to drink, too at, much the, to at, drink at the the, bar.
1: the help, the poor struggler.
0: And then ended up uh, going to the gallows and Pierpoint was his executioner and came into his cell and greeted him, you know, hello Tish. Do, you, do you think
1: that would be a comfort for the
0: condemned according to, to know the guy? According to Pierpoint, it calmed him and the fact that they had, you know, Pierpoint said he kept it light, <laughs> he kept it professional, but like if he faltered at the step, he said, you know, come on, tish old man or whatever, and like walked him up and, and it all, uh, it all went off without a hitch. But Pierpoint, he used that as an example later on in life, as he reevaluated his career and came and decided that he was anti-capital punishment. He said, Hmm. if it were truly a deterrent to murder, this man of all men who knew I was a hangman and was his friend, it would have deterred him maybe more than anyone else. I mean, to drink with me night after night, the the hangman. And he said, you know, if this guy would go ahead and kill his wife anyway or kill his mistress anyway, it's not like it's going to deter someone out in the streets. I think there have been many, many
1: attempts to show that capital punishment does deter future crime in some way. And they've all come up short. Whether you know the executioner or not. But it seems like that must have been hard on Pierpoint, even if it's a a blessing to his friend to have a friendly face
0: at the gallows. Well, Pierpoint always claimed that he had a detached and professional relationship to execution, because it was he was just doing his job.
1: He's got to tell his story in a way that makes sense to him, though. But he
0: he also would he would slip into Kind of a a strange way of talking about it where he considered his job to have a sacred quality and that every execution he tried to make as perfect as possible because of the, there was a spiritual element that he was a conductor of the condemned out of this world. And there were a lot of critics at the time that, that were suspicious of the way he talked. That makes me a little he would skeptical. He would say things like, "You know, I had to execute James Corbett, or I had to execute." He famously executed Lord Ha Ha after the war. The great
1: oh, the propaganda guy. The great propaganda. Oh, that should
0: be an entry in the omnibus. Uh, Lord Ha Ha. Lord, Lord Ha Ha was the the treasonous sort of um, Tokyo Rose of the Eastern of, of War. Fascist Britain. Um, he executed Lord Ha Ha, but he always described it as a duty that he had to undertake. And there were contemporary critics who said, you know, you don't have to execute anyone. You could just own your bar. And uh, (laughs) Most pub owners (laughs) execute zero Nazis. So it does suggest that maybe Pierpoint
1: was... um, Well, it just means that it does something to you to kill 400 people on the job and have to explain that to yourself in a way that does not damn you, right? In in a way that makes it seem laudable in a way. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's weird that he claims to be anti-capital punishment even while he's doing it. I mean, he's a a government employee. I'm sure the government is full of people who are carrying out policies they disagree with. You know, I'm sure the military is as well. Uh, If it's lawful, then... We've talked about, for example, the... um, you know, a a military officer who has to be the one to turn the key and launch the missiles, for example, and how they all say, of course I would do it, you know, like the system only works if it doesn't matter what I think. Right. And of course that system might be, you know, in the larger sense, just as morally bankrupt as the state killing a murderer. I'm, I'm not saying it's not.
0: But the whole idea of law and order is that, like our police officers are intentionally not charged with the responsibility of, judging the crime. They are instruments, they're meant to be instruments of the state law, and they're there to enforce it without prejudice. Now, you can't have police robots, or I mean, not yet. I'm sure the... (laughs) I'm sure sure we're
1: uh, speaking to people who have interacted with RoboCop today.
0: futurelings are, are shaking their heads ruefully from inside their cells where all future inhabitants live, guarded by RoboCops. But now, I mean, one of the big problems of policing is how much authority to give individual police to make decisions on the fly, and even we we've, we've just come through a period where where the state tried to limit the authority that judges had by setting mandatory sentencing limits and so forth to you know, to take away the the, um, right. the independence of judges and and systematize sentencing. And
1: all it takes is reading one story about a wacko judge making somebody do something humiliating for a minor offense or one bad cop who is demonstrably prejudiced in how he carried out his duty or whatever. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I want those laws.
0: Well, and a lot of those laws actually came in the other direction to tighten up judges that were too lenient on prisoners that judges where they were taking into consideration that, The offender came from a broken home, and so... The idea is the state needs to be more dispassionate. That's right. Think less
1: about the the actual individual situation.
0: So both sides of the political coin are trying to take the human element out of law enforcement because of what they perceive to be the risk of too much chaos. Although I think studies show the more human element there is in terms of training people well to make judgment calls on the spot that do take into account the situation that aren't just going quote unquote by the book. That's actually where you get community policing and effective jurisprudence.
1: And on a larger scale, it keeps you from building an apparatus where, um, you know, the decision makers can be, too insulated from the effect. You know, you, when you get drones just bombing weddings. Right. And everybody can shrug because nobody knows anybody who dropped the bomb, you know.
0: Or you get into situations where the law then becomes completely political and all of a sudden you have police who are receiving very different instructions depending on who's in office. Sure. Which is a really bad way to go about policing. But in the case of being an executioner, I don't think you want a lot of discretion <laughs> on the part of the person performing the job. You kind of want them, if, if killing people is lawful, then you want it at least to be done efficiently and mercifully.
1: Right, I have no problem with that guy being a cog. I mean, even if he writes a memoir, I, I feel like, why, what does this guy have to say? Like His opinions about capital punishment are irrelevant to what he did. Right. I don't think there's even any, like I'm not, I'm not overly troubled with concerns of you know, the ethics of what he did. I wouldn't do it, though. Like, I I have a, I think I would have a visceral problem with it.
3: Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's musician Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start
0: i mean there's a there's a curious case and it's not extremely well documented but uh well enough documented that it's reported uh that in the 18th century in ireland there was a woman who um, who mistakenly murdered her own son because her son had gone to America to make his fortune and he'd sent her money over the years to support her. But he returned to Ireland bearded and so- somewhat in disguise and came to his mother's house and said, you know, will you take me in as a lodger for tonight because there's no room in the inn? And she did and saw that he was rich and murdered him in the night for his bag of gold. And then in the morning, searching through his pockets, discovered from his letters and other things in, on his possession that it was actually her son who had come back to surprise her. Oh, this, is, this is too good to be true. This is a, a de Maupassant short story. Yeah, it really, it's pretty nice. And then she was sentenced to hang. And on the day of her execution, along with 25 other prisoners, the executioner took ill, And the sheriff was faced with an angry mob who had come to watch the week's execution. And as he sort of cast about for a solution, this woman who is known as Lady Betty raised her hand and said, if you will not kill me today, I will perform the role of executioner. (laughs) Whoa. And everybody said, well, you know, the sheriff was like, oh, okay. And I'm sure that the other 25 prisoners were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't know that was an option. Like I, I'll be the executioner, but it was too late. Lady Betty had um, gotten ahead of them and she performed the executions with cold efficiency, and was returned to her cell, having been spared for the day after killing these 25 prisoners. And the following week, the executioner died. Uh, of his illness and the sheriff said, you know, Betty, if I commute your sentence to life in prison, will you continue to work as the executioner? And she happily agreed and continued to live in the prison and perform the job of executioner free of charge. Did she live as a prisoner? Lived as a prisoner, partly because she was so hated in the community, uh, <laughs> that it wasn't safe for her to live outside. And she continued from 1780 until 1802 to work as the executioner for, for Northern Ireland and then retired and lived within the prison walls. She had a little garden that she tended and happily lived in prison until her death. The stigma
1: against executioners is such that in a lot of modern methods, uh, it's set up so that nobody actually knows who did it, right? A firing squad will have multiple rifles. Right. A gas, or not a gas chamber, but a lethal injection machine will have three people pressing a button and only one of them is hooked up or something. Isn't that right? I think they do have mechanisms like this.
0: Yeah, and there were, uh, that was always an element of it in the distant past that the executioner would wear a hood. Oh, right. And that was, I think, the hood was to protect the executioner from, uh, because it was such an untouchable job where your neighbors, you you weren't invited to all the nice clubs, right? If you were, if you were the town executioner. <laughs> Just take off the hood. But I think the innovation of the firing squad in a military context was that you didn't want to charge any one soldier with killing his compatriot and out in the field, you wouldn't necessarily have an executioner along with you. Uh, A lot of those firing squads were ad hoc. And that's true now of if you, if you have three people all pushing the button at the same time, it's to distribute that responsibility enough that it gives you as a participant, at least plausible deniability to yourself as you lay in bed. It wasn't me it wasn't my bullet. I aimed over the guy's head or uh, the button I pushed was surely the one that was disconnected.
1: There was a U.S. politician who ran for president and when it came out that he had actually done executions in the past. His opponents used this kind of executioner stigma. They called him the Buffalo hangman because he'd been the sheriff in, in Buffalo, New York, and he'd done two executions. And actually, very badly. Uh, one of his knots was so bad that um, the when the sheriff pulled the lever, uh, he just kicked for 23 minutes. Ugh. Whereas I think I read that Pierpoint had a record of seven and a half seconds at one point, which is very good. But the, uh, yeah, the Buffalo hangman, uh, despite the public's distaste for an executioner, actually won uh, the presidency twice. Grover Cleveland was a former sheriff and two-time executioner.
0: Is that right? Is that why they called Grover Cleveland the Buffalo hangman? <laughs> he, he thought it was his country music <laughs> career.
1: And I did. No, he, uh, he had two non-consecutive... He can, <laughs> He hanged someone on two non-consecutive occasions.
0: Wow. I mean, Buffalo Hangman would be actually a great country-western album.
1: I kind of want it to be like my World Series of Poker name or my pool hall name or something. Buffalo Hangman. Look
0: out, it's the Buffalo Hangman. Ken Buffalo Hangman Jennings. Uh, The the most famous-slash-infamous American hangman of the 20th century um, was a man named John Clarence Woods. And during the Nuremberg trials, which were sort of the last big international trial of, and, and, and in a way the invention of the idea of a war criminal, it was on the international stage and there was a lot of pressure to accomplish this trial of these men of crimes against humanity and dispatch them in a way that was efficient and made the case that there was a new sort of global order of justice but
1: again i want to say that that's a little weird like hey we're killing nazis in an efficient and antiseptic way like so it's you know the nazis were also famous for their efficient killing machines you know like i'm a little skeeved up by the idea that you, we can make death so
0: antiseptic that um everyone just kind of nods and smiles it is skeevy and it is um paradoxical right and that I think now when you go to The Hague and there are war crimes tribunals, the death sentence is off the table. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, But at the time it was, there was still a feeling like, what happens to Hermann Goering? How, what do you do? Do you really just put him in a cell and give him three squares a day? Like there needed to be some kind of ultimate justice. Albert Pierpoint was the obvious man to be chosen as the executioner. and He's got experience, he's got skill. And during World War II, he, from England, he handled all the executions for the Allies. He Oh, if he'd, you mean he'd fly over? Or you mean in England? In when England. They, when they had... If they had... If there were traitors, if mm-hmm. there were uh, U.S. service people who were convicted of crimes, Pierpoint would do the job. But when it came to Nuremberg, for whatever reason the executioner was chosen from the ranks of the United States Army and the job went to this man, John Clarence Woods, uh, a master sergeant who had been in the Navy back in the twenties and went AWOL and was convicted of, uh, and court-martialed and diagnosed with like psychopathy, <laughs> uh, like, uh, something called psychopathic inferiority, but without Active psychosis, and he was discharged from the navy. But then, twelve years later, after working as a working in a feed store, basically, he reenlisted in the in the army during the during war, the second war, and was a sort of not very successful uh, soldier, not regarded as very intelligent, and found himself thrust into this role. What?
1: Why would you, of all the guys, is this like when a like a radio station has a contest, and then suddenly some old lady is hosting Saturday Night Live, or like, why, why this guy?
0: Well, because um, they were looking for a hangman and looking for volunteers, and Woods claimed that he had experience as a hangman. <laughs> um, he said that he'd acted as an assistant hangman in Texas and in Oklahoma, and the army didn't really verify his claims. Didn't it's, make any attempt to check it out. It's starting to seem like our Egyptian guy he who had, just wants to hang stuff. <clears throat> he had no, <clears throat> like, looking back now, we realize he had no experience. He was a buck private at the time, <laughs> but he was immediately promoted to master sergeant and became uh, the official U.S. executioner of soldiers convicted of crimes in the, la- in the final days of the war. And then showed up at Nuremberg on the strength of that, got the Nuremberg gig. Now during the war, he was accused of bungling uh, multiple hangings of U.S. servicemen, but somehow again that he was not—that didn't impede his career advancement. And with Albert Pierpoint waiting in the wings with his like time-tested long drop uh, hanging technology. And his stretched out ropes and his bags of sand. Master Hangman. The job instead went to Master Sergeant Woods, who, by all accounts, bungled almost every single one of the Nuremberg hangings. Wow. Leaving the Nazis dangling on the end of the rope, choking to death, twisting in the wind. Um,
1: Is there any thought that somebody high up wanted this? Like, you know, let's get this guy. He'll probably make them suffer.
0: This is often true of accusations of hangmen throughout the ages where they were accused of being bunglers. There are plenty of examples of executioners back in the day when it was an axe, really, that was the, the main instrument. And they didn't get all the way through. They didn't get all the way through or they, you know. Yeah, they the, need, needed a few. The first blow landed on their shoulder or whatever. <laughs> that rather than, you know, that half the people were like, he's a bungler, he's an oaf. The other half were like, this was intentional. He was meant to do a bad job to add that extra spin to, <laughs> you know, to make that execution go, to, go off badly. To make this uh, unpopular figure suffer the more. So those high-ranking Nazis, a lot of them, they died at the end of John Woods's rope and did so painfully and died of strangulation rather than of the hangman's break. And then Sergeant Woods... Maybe in the final irony, oh, he, he denied that he ever bungled an execution. He said he did a great job and everybody.
1: I'm really good, <laughs> says guy who is not really That's good. That's right.
0: He said uh, that the, all the GIs that helped him did a real swell job. Uh, the way I look at this hanging job, somebody has to do it. Uh, I got into it by accident years ago in the States, <laughs> you know, just like putting the shine on it. He seems like he enjoyed his work. But uh, Woods met his end, still in the army, um, electrocuted by accident while trying to repair a, a, a lighting set.
1: Not while trying to put somebody in the chair.
0: No. A- after after Nuremberg, he did not continue as the army's executioner. They just put him back into the into the ranks, and uh, he was out fussing with some light bulbs and some angry Nazi ghost. Um, Stuck with, his with, finger in the socket. <laughs> with rope burns all, all around, came along and just sort of put one leg of the ladder in a bucket of water. And <laughs> what, happened to, what happened to Pierpoint? Pierpoint lived to a ripe old age. He um, lived until 1992. He was born in 1905. So he outlived his, his own profession in the UK by, by decades. Uh, by decades, right. He, um, after the fact, wrote an autobiography, and for a time was very vocally against the death penalty, which is a coup for the movement, right? like right. if um
1: I think in the u s it happened with the plaintiff in Roe versus Wade later became super pro life, and that was a big deal, yeah, it's showing up on Donahue all the time everybody's looking for um or when the guy that said, "Can you hear me now?" I switched to Sprint.
0: Oh, that was a big one. That's huge, right? That changed my mind. Sure, you're looking you're looking for some kind of neat closure, and uh, Pierpoint's contention that the death penalty never deterred anyone, and also that it was you know it was not effective as a even a crime suppressant, was fairly widely reported in its time. But then as he got older, maybe unsurprisingly, he revisited his attitudes and said, well, I said it didn't work as a deterrent back in a time when there just wasn't that much crime. But now here in the late 80s in Britain.
1: Oh, he turned into one of these old guys grousing about
0: street crime and, uh, and probably saying racial slurs. Sure, these thugs who are out with their hippity hop and spray painting on the walls. And so he, he sort of took back a little bit of his opposition to the death penalty and, and felt like maybe there are some crimes that deserve the ultimate punishment.
1: As long as he didn't put on a hangman's hood and become some neighborhood vigilante and start, uh, start doing away with um, vandals and muggers.
0: No, he didn't, but our friend Al-Nabil in Egypt has gone on record saying even when he retires... If they ever need him to come back and do some executioning, uh, you know, they have his number. All they have to do is call. <laughs> well, you know what they say, retirement kills. You got you to gotta keep your hand in something.
1: And that concludes Albert Pierpoint. Entry 938.ES0914. Certificate number 21776. In the omnibus. Speaking of fatal things and fatal mistakes... Uh, we hope that social media does not exist in your time.
0: I'll say but, the ultimate killer, <laughs> right?
1: Killer of time, killer of your good, any feeling of goodwill you might have towards your fellow men and women. Ooh, the Silent Spring. Uh, but if you, in our day, we were uh, devoted to the principles of the omnibus and diffusing them far and wide, propounding them. Is that right? We propound them. Do we propound and diffuse? I wouldn't say diffuse, but disseminate. Disseminate. That's what we do. Yeah. We cast our seed far and wide. In different ways, we do. (laughs) (laughs) As evidence of that, you could find us at Omnibus Project on just about every social media platform, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. John is at John Roderick on Instagram and Twitter. Roderick. At John Roderick, I can't be right. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Let me look. I'm pretty sure it's Roderick. 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 Don't forget the e. Uh, And I was at Ken Jenning's. Don't forget that second n on Twitter. Um, You could uh, email us at Omnibus Project at HowStuffWorks with urgent digital communications. You could also send us tangible objects Mm -hmm. if you wanted to. Please do. We're really, really into that. Um,
0: No candied apples, nothing with razor blades or poison in it.
1: You know, it's all fake. Like, Uh, not a single case of poison candy. We were all scared for nothing.
0: I think think we've covered that on the Omnibus. Maybe we have. A little bit.
1: It sounds like I'm encouraging people to be be the pioneer, the first one to send poison candy to us, and I really don't think you should do
0: that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Ken and I have debated whether or not we would eat Uh, Food stuffs sent to us in the mail by strangers. And we've decided that we won't.
1: We're 0 for 1. We did not chew on the, the smoked roots or whatever. So
0: don't, don't
1: waste but what your time. Was, but what if it was like a, a candy bar you like? What if it was on Halloween? What if a
0: Whatchamacallit shows you up? Or an Almond Joy? Do you remember what they said? That they would stick hypodermic needles through the wrappers into those candy bars and put poison in them where you couldn't see.
1: I'm going to look for a syringe hole. I'm going to spend all of 20 seconds looking for a syringe hole. And if it's not like something gross like a Three Musketeers...
0: Three Musketeers aren't gross. Three Musketeers are totally good. What's gross is an Almond
1: Joy. Three Musca- Almond Joy is coconut, an actual food. Three Musketeers is nougat, which I think is, you know, comes from meteorites or something.
0: Nougat is one of the great
1: foods. Coconut is not a food. Coconut is a gourd. <laughs> coconut. coconut is a weapon. I am almost certain coconut is not a gourd, but Coca- also
0: I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> coconut is something that you milk, you take the milk out and you make like sweet tea, but you don't have to eat the fingernail clippings that are inside of it. Oh, to you that's like leftover. Ugh. The, oh, the it's coconut like the dregs. Meat? Name one good
1: thing made of coconut meat. I don't like that you're calling it coconut meat. That's what they call it—meat, nut meats, nut meat. <laughs> I enjoy. <laughs> I enjoy nut meats on the holidays. <laughs> what was I even going to say? Oh, the address. Yeah. Address. Yeah. So send stuff. John will not eat it. I will, even if it's got coconut in it. P.O. Box five five seven four four, Shoreline, Washington. 98155. Also feel free to congregate with your fellow Futurelings on
0: Facebook on the Futurelings fan page. Listeners, from our vantage point, in your distant past, where we still say the word Facebook out loud... It's a, uh, you think it's a, a profanity or a, it's like the F word? in the future? Something, I'm sure. We have no idea how long our civilization or Facebook survived. I think our civilization will outlast Facebook. In fact, I was thinking the other day, people used to congregate it, like fans of my band would congregate on the message board of my band's website, mm. thelongwinters.com. I don't even know if that message board is still there, but it was a fun, fun time, kind of like what happens at the Omnibus Futurelings Facebook page. It does feel like a 90s internet phenomenon. People yeah. have found a fun message board. Yeah, it's a fun message board. Now, The reason that it's successful is that people apparently are already on Facebook, so it's easy for them. They don't have to navigate to a separate place. But how hard would it be for us to take our futurelings community and decamp it from Facebook and put it somewhere where people would want to visit it and enjoy it? To those of you in the future who are are rolling right now in your cloud-based homes, your cloud-based, I guess, sky cabins, yeah, they live in Sky Canyon. Uh I think that you know already the answer. You know that, that people who love Omnibus find another place, another venue, where they can live and laugh and love. It's like Whack-A-Mole. You can't keep love for the Omnibus project down. Right. We don't know, though. We cannot look into the future ourselves. We can only speculate. Uh, we hope and pray that this particular catastrophe for Facebook does come soon. Uh, And if it does come soon, this recording, like all our recordings, will be partially responsible for the death of Facebook. It will be another reason we are lauded as heroes to the future. Uh, If Providence allows, we hope to be back with you very soon, next week, in November 2018, for another entry in the Omnibus.